Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yugara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Trainer Talks and Tales. Today you are joined by myself, Daisy, and my wonderful co-host, Tess. Hey Daisy, how's your week? My week has been amazing. I actually went to Hamilton Island with some of my best mates for a few days to celebrate my 30th birthday. We had such a blast. We saw whales, heaps of wallabies, different parrots, and we actually even saw some deer, which was pretty cool. Um, But I am now officially a whole year older, but I am very excited for what 30 will bring. Tessa, I know you've had a fantastic week, so I'm really keen to hear all about it. Thank you. Well, happy birthday once again. Um, It sounds like you had a great time. I've had a great time in Sydney at the ASZK conference. I've heard a lot of great presentations and got an amazing insight into what other facilities are doing, as always. It's always such a great networking opportunity, and I even approached a few people about coming on the podcast, so watch this space. I find like these experiences are always very inspiring to see what others are doing, but also good for me personally to learn about other taxa. I live and breathe raptors, so to learn about mammals, reptiles, invertebrates, their conservation and breeding is, yeah, it's quite refreshing. So it was awesome, basically. That's so good. It sounds like you had a great time, and I know that you did do a presentation yourself, so hopefully we can maybe discuss that in a little bit more detail next week, possibly. Yeah, sounds good. It went well, so I'm I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> That's good. Now, Tess was actually away at the ASAK conference during this interview with this guest. So it was just me who got to chat to Hazel McBride. Now, Hazel is an ex-marine mammal trainer who specialised primarily with killer whales. Now, we know that this is a hot topic at the moment, and we're really excited to have a chat to someone who has worked in this field and who can share their experience on it. We think Hazel's ideas will really make you think. The narrative about orcas and human care has been presented in a particular way for some time now, and we think it's so important to see other perspectives. I personally never felt like I knew enough to form a strong opinion on this, so this discussion with Hazel has given me some really good food for thought. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Hazel, it is such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. And also, we wanted to congratulate you on being our very first international guest, which is really exciting. I'm so honoured. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Now, we do appreciate that you are obviously recording early in the morning and we're late in that evening here in Brisbane. So thank you again for making that time. But before we get stuck into the conversation, we always start every episode with a fast five. So are you good for us to get straight into that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. Pinnipeds or orcas? Orcas. Wine or beer? Neither. I don't really drink. (laughs) Okay. Wine. If I had to pick one, I'd pick wine. Okay. Uh, Countryside or beach? Beach. The UK or Europe? The UK. (laughs) And then lollies or chocolate? Oh, chocolate. Agreed. All right. Good job. 
Now, Hazel, yeah. you have a really interesting career within the animal field. You have worked with so many different species and are now using your epic experience to help others. Could you possibly walk us through what your pathway has looked like in the industry? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, obviously, growing up in Scotland, we don't have even cetaceans and human care there at all. My mom took me to SeaWorld when I was little and I completely fell in love. I mean, even to a different level than that. Like I was eight years old and I sat in that stadium until the cleaners forced us to leave. Like I felt such a connection to those animals. And I know that sounds stupid, but I really did. And they really inspired me. And I came home and tried to start up like an ecology club at school and get people like involved in conservation. And like no one was having it. Everyone was like, sit down eventually kind of that dream never really left toyed with the idea of maybe being a vet for a while because I just wanted to work with animals and then I started volunteering with sea lions at my local safari park which was kind of my first time working in the zoo industry and kind of getting a feel for what that was about an animal training um, and I have to thank those two trainers so much Sam and Alex they they taught me so much like so much more than what I think most interns or volunteers would have the opportunity to to learn and then I went and did several internships overseas and then eventually got hired at Laurel Park in Tenerife to work with orcas after having worked with dolphins for a bit and then I moved on to work with killer whales at Marineland on Teep as well. Wow. Okay. That is so impressive. <laughs> and I completely agree with you how you can sometimes just have, you know, one person or two people and they stick with you and what they've taught you mm-hmm. your whole career. Absolutely. Now, I obviously want to get into talking way more about orcas. I'm in absolute awe of the time that you got to spend with them. They are my favorite animal, hands down. How did you feel when you finally got off with that position? Oh, It's a funny story, actually. So I had been working in the Dominican Republic with dolphins for a year. And through a number of different reasons, I wanted to move one a little bit closer to home. Um, So I was looking for opportunities and I was open to a lot of different things. But I actually messaged one of the trainers from Laura Park on LinkedIn and said, hey, you know, I would love if there's and I didn't know this guy. (laughs) He's one of my good friends now, but I didn't I didn't know from Adam. Um, And I was like, is there an email address? I would love to send like an open solicitation. And he actually said that they were looking for someone then. So I sent in my CV. I did an interview um, and it was five o'clock in the morning. And I was sharing a house with my good friend, Jenny, and the phone went. We had a house phone randomly. um, And that was the number that I gave. I don't know why that was the number that I gave. That was questionable. Um, and it went off at five o'clock in the morning and we both woke up and ran into the living room and I answered the phone and it was Claudia, the, the supervisor at Laura Park at the time, offering me the job. And I, I remember saying like she realized when she when I picked up the phone, she was like, oh, God, what time is it there? And I was like, it's 5 a.m., but it's fine. It's OK. Like, what do you need to say? Matter. Please tell me it's good news. Like, please wake me up for good news. And I think that's what she said. She was like, oh, well, I don't feel so bad waking you up because it's good news. Um, and yeah, I cried. I like, I, I was just overwhelmed. Yeah. I love that you remember that particular moment. It was obviously so special for you. And I guess I'd love to know a little bit more about what it actually is like working with that species and, you know, what their personalities are like. Are they like a smart animal? Oh my goodness. Like almost human-like in their brains. Um, especially going from dolphins to killer whales, 
I was told by the supervisor in the Dominican Republic who had actually worked at Marineland with Killer Rails um, before he went on to, you know, curator roles and director roles within the industry. And he said to me, he was like, I'll be surprised if you're not back with dolphins within a year. And he didn't say that to be a bad thing. It was just there are so many people that go to work with killer rails and don't gel with them because they are so different to working with dolphins. It's a completely different ball game. Um, just their social hierarchy, the way that they interact with their trainers, the way they interact with the world, their environment, the other animals. Um, it definitely takes a different type of person to work with them and they are such a massive challenge but that's what I loved about it like I almost got addicted to the rush of working with killer rails they were so complex and it required you to always be thinking three steps ahead while simultaneously watching your animal and all the other animals and what was going on and yeah they were just a massive puzzle. It's so interesting hearing how different they were to dolphins that you'd previously worked with because mm. I think sometimes you can imagine working with all marine mammals are very similar and I've even been told like you know going from cetaceans to pinnipeds is insanely different in how you train <laughs> them how you work alongside them too so that's that's really interesting to hear do you have a particular behavior that you trained or someone else trained that was your favorite when working alongside them there's a couple that that spring to mind you know there's obviously lots of different interesting research behaviors that required you know, months of of training and, you know, you would come into roadblocks and you'd have to sit down with the whole team and try to figure out how to, you know, train and the creativity that we did just before I left um, with Dr. Hill um, was really interesting uh, because we had 20 minute long test sessions, which we thought, oh my God, the animals are going to get so bored. But in the end, they actually, like, they didn't want to take primary reinforcement. Like they found the sessions themselves so reinforcing and they would just they would follow us trying to continue the session as we were leaving. We were like, no, like we, we need to go wash things and like get fish out of the freezer. Like <laughs> we can't just stay here and do this all day. But like a traditional kind of behavioral training, I would say maybe the brake spin or the bomb were really big moments for me personally, like in my career to be able to train such a massive, like aerial, complex aerial behavior. Like I think when you're a young trainer, you know, you start off with maybe some more simple behaviors and then you kind of work your way up to the big ones. So being trusted enough with Wiki to be able to train something like that on her was amazing, you know, and kind of testing our relationship as well to see if we were kind of ready to take that step. And the brakesman had never been trained at Marineland before because uh, our slide outs are almost sloped. So it's kind of difficult for the animals to stay up on them. Uh, and I did, I trained that one together with my supervisor and it was kind of like the blind leading the blind. Like neither of us had any idea what we were doing. It was so much trial and error. We were like, maybe bring her up over here, maybe try this angle in her body or, you know, put the target pole over here. And we brought someone up from Dolphin who had trained on a Dolphin to like have a look and see what we were doing. And then Wiki got involved with the training as well. And she would like ignore what we were doing to like try something herself as if like, you idiots, like this will work. Um, so it was kind of like the three of us actually training it together. And I think the whole thing from start to finish probably took the best part of a year for us to train it. Uh, and that's probably us doing a few, a good few sessions a week, um, maybe even one session a day in quieter moments. But it was it was really nice for for Wiki as well, like to test her, like with killer whales so often 
you you struggle to find something that's going to challenge them both mentally and physically. Uh, so you could really see that during that training that Wiki was enjoying it. You know, she was motivated. She would, like I said, she would suggest things. You know, she would go into it as well. Um, yeah, I, I would say the break's been. Yeah, yeah been that sounds like, you know, what a rewarding and like amazing opportunity for learning for all three of you by it sounds of it. And I always think it's so incredibly cool to go back to the start of that conversation about how, you know, you could take that primary away from them and they're still choosing to participate in sessions. Mm-hmm. Like we heard that in one of our earlier podcasts with Dean, who has noticed that with his elephant training, that, you know, mm-hmm. the food is there for free or the food is there to participate in a training session. And they will always choose the training session, which is such a good indication to us that our animals are healthy and happy. Absolutely. I mean, especially with killer whales like fish is the last thing you would think about you know it's boring the animals like i i've seen all four of the whales at marineland and i'll talk a lot about the whales at marineland because that's where i think i had finally learned how to be a killer whale trainer like laurel park was kind of me starting off like i was learning how to be a trainer at the same time as learning the animals but yeah marineland i feel like i really settled into the job and into that role Um, you know the whales would come to us and we would try to feed them and they would shut their mouths and like give us their dorsal fin instead to kind of be like "Mm, I think I'll take a rub down um, now instead of uh, some fish thanks but thanks for the offer (laughs) so you would often have to you know we would do shows with secondary reinforcement we like and not even touch fish you know we would do it with jello with ice cubes with toys rub downs you know we would plan sessions around okay we're not going to use fish right now for this session we're just going to use secondaries or you know relate sessions where you don't touch any reinforcement the reinforcement is the time spent with the trainer um and you'll come up with silly little games to play and you know you'll be loving on your animal at the side you might get all of the trainers involved it might just be one trainer and one whale um to really kind of work on that relationship because yeah sharing your space with a killer whale is pretty incredible yeah, well, that all just sounds so amazing and so good that you're able to utilize so many secondaries within those training mm-hmm. sessions too. Now, I'm going to say that I might know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway, have you, and if so, how have you dealt with any negative comments that might come with working alongside orcas within human care? Oh, I mean, like you would get them every day. You know, I get them a little bit less now, but when I was a train, those three years that I worked at Marineland, I'd opened up my social media as well. Um, and I was just getting really frustrated about the narrative that was being presented in the media. That's kind of where everything kind of started for me with regards to like the podcast and social media and kind of growing outside of just being a trainer. Um, and I was like, I remember sitting in the in the office doing the records and thinking, why has no one like made a movie about our job? You know, thinking about Blackfish, like that side of the argument has been presented, but why has no one presented the other side and I thought okay well I can write like would they allow me to write a book and I just wrote down all of my ideas and took it to my my supervisor and I was like hey I want to do this and then he was like well go and get permission from the curator and I did and the curator John Kershaw was like yeah sure like if that's what you want to do do it and then the director okayed it and I was like all right I guess I'm doing this so for me I think that was my way to kind of come back at all of the negativity that I had experienced um, and just put everything I wanted to say into the book but obviously not everyone is going to read it so social media day to day you would still get troll comments and hate comments and I always say to every trainer you know if people 
sound like they're open-minded, provide information, like provide resources and say, hey, I will refer you to this if you want to learn more. You know, don't waste your time and your precious energy because you will just get burnt out and you will just start to take all of that on yourself. But if you can reference papers, if you can send them to help my YouTube videos or something that's free or a book or anything, not even my book, like Killing Keiko by Mark Simmons, like, and any of Ken Ramirez's books, any of Karen Pryor's books, you know, just send them somewhere else where they can get that information if they need to and preserve your own energy. And then obviously you're going to have people that are just not open to anything and are just trying to tear you down. And surprisingly enough, those ones don't bother me as much. Like I've had death threats on Instagram. Like I've had people wish like death on my family. They've said they wished I would get cancer, that um, the whales would eat me and all, all oh of God. this stuff. That's that's just so wild, so wild to hear when you are a trainer and know the like the care that we provide these animals. Like, yeah, well, it's frustrating to hear. So I can't even imagine how you dealt with that. I mean, honestly, those ones didn't bother me as much because I I knew for a fact that they were just they did not have any understanding of what our job was and what we we do every day. Um, it's more the ones that argue with like semi-true facts like twisted information that I'm like "Mm, you're you're just missing the point and that annoys me enough that I'll like get involved but the ones that are really you know like threats or or violence or troll comments I I can quite easily befriend the block button um with those people so yeah I think it's just judging when you can use your words and when you should just protect yourself instead but it's harder when it's face-to-face interactions yeah definitely and I think you know with majority of the people who put those negative comments out they just don't know they're just not educated enough and by having Mm -hmm. someone like you who does such an incredible presence of the importance that they play in human care is hopefully changing so many of those role those people's mindsets um, that necessarily just don't have an understanding well what I've noticed actually since like I went public on social media in 2019 And I wouldn't even say I have a huge following like in the grand scheme of things. But what I've noticed since then is there's a lot more trainers who have done the same and have started, you know, speaking up about our industry and what we really stand for and really trying to highlight the nuance, you know, and similarly to me, you know, I'm not trying to say that we're perfect, you know, is there things that can be done to improve the well-being of killer whales and human care? Absolutely. You know, there are, I could give you a list a mile long of things that I wished would would be developed and changed and implemented. Um, but yeah, I think where people get the wrong end of the stick is knowing that tra- trainers specifically don't have a lot of control over that. So we're not the ones that you should be lobbying at. Yes, no, I definitely agree. And then I guess speaking about your social media presence and all the hard work you've done, earlier in the year, you were lucky enough to go to the EAAM conference. Could you mm-hmm. briefly chat on what the conference was about and what the acronym stands for as well? Of course, yeah. So um, the EAAM stands for the European Association of Aquatic Mammals. Um, and it's basically a non-profit organization that aims to protect aquatic mammals, spread awareness, um, do a lot of research, science, etc., all within Europe. So there are a number of zoological institutions within Europe that kind of join together to to be part of the EAAM. 
the conference brings together, you know, industry professionals. So you've got people who often spend time in boardrooms can also come and kind of listen to what's happening in a lot of different facilities. So trainers will present on training. You have vets that will present on interesting cases that they've seen or things that have worked or maybe not worked so well. Uh, And you'll obviously have scientists and researchers presenting um, their projects from the year. Um, And it's just a great way to kind of network and meet other professionals in the industry and I was there working as a freelance um, social media manager for them so running their social media around the conference and kind of showing people what we do and what we're presenting and what we stand for and yeah it's super fun I get to merge the two things I love the most marine mammals and social media it's great yeah Yeah, it's so good Uh, conferences are so important I guess in what we do and we've I've recently got back from one too and it's so awesome the amount of different people that you get to meet and so many like souls Um, but you did do an incredible presentation at that conference which I will share the link because it was really cool to watch and it's obviously something that's very close to your heart like you mentioned Mm. is marine mammals and that's paired with social media too do you mind giving the listeners just a little bit of an insight into the presentation that you delivered? Yeah, I was really nervous to give it, um, not for like standing up in front of people who are speaking, but I went quite hard on um, not necessarily bashing like marine parks and how badly they're using their social media. Not everyone. I'm not going to tar everyone with the same brush. There's some places that are doing a spectacular job. Some places, not so much. I think um, you made a very good, like a good strong point <laughs> <laughs> to where we could be doing better. <laughs> I was like, okay, right, stepping onto this podium, we've got a lot of important people in this room and I'm about to tell them that they're all doing a terrible job. Fantastic. I'm either going to be praised for this or I'm going to get fired. Thankfully, it was very well received. So I basically spoke about um, yeah, the narrative that's being portrayed from, I don't want to say activists, because we should all be animal activists. Like We're all advocating for animals. I would say extremists are very good at harnessing social media. They have a lot of money for it. They invest a lot of money in their marketing campaigns, which is why we should ask, where's the rest of the money going? (laughs) So I'm trying to convince other institutions that we need to do the same. We need to use emotion. We need to put the humanity back into our job. We need to show the general public what we actually do every day you know it's not enough to just post a photo of a penguin or you know a sea lion and be like oh happy national sea lion day you know they want they want to see what we do what those animals lives are like we need to open it up and show the behind the scenes and that's what I really noticed when I opened up my, my social media and showed the best example I can give you where the public would really interact was when we were making birthday cakes for the whales now super anthropomorphic I get it the animals don't know that it's their birthday fine whatever it was more for the trainers but the animals still got to enjoy a really big enrichment you know we would freeze their toys we would we would stack toys on top of each other we would make frozen fish cakes ice cakes jello like there was so much in that and they would play with it for close to an hour all of them together so it was great social enrichment for all four of them and what I noticed through kind of drip feeding through my social posts, like on Instagram stories or whatever, and be like, oh, Moana's birthday is coming up and this is the start of the cake. Can you guess what we're making? Or, you know, in later months, I would even let people vote on what we would make and be like, what do you want us to make for Moana and give them like four choices and then they would choose it and then we would make it. And they would kind of follow the journey from 
yeah, we're starting to like pour into the jello molds and like freeze things and start assembling it. And then to, oh, now we're giving it to the animals and they can kind of see that it brings them in closer and it lets them, it lets them see how much trainers care in a way that they understand. And I think people like to have a say as well. And by doing something like that, you're giving them the say and they're having a little bit more control over it, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And also, you know, there's so much that we do or we try to communicate that the average person might not understand. You know, when we're starting to talk about really scientific things, you know, like results from our research, a lot of the general public either aren't interested about that or don't really understand it. But giving an animal that we love a birthday cake, they understand that. They can empathize with that. That's something that they do in their daily lives. They'll do it for their dogs. They'll do it for their kids. They understand that that is an act of love. Mm-hmm. And they understand that it's something that the recipient of the birthday cake is going to enjoy, whether that's a birthday cake made of ice, fish and jello or a birthday cake made of chocolate. I think, yeah, I think you just put that so well. It just, it really communicates. How, like, we don't have to do that. Like you said, the animals have no idea it's their birthdays, but we do that because we care. And that's yeah. now being able to show that to the general public is so important. Now, one thing you did speak about in your presentation was animal deaths and obviously communicating when that Mm. happens to the public. We know it is by far the hardest part of our job. Why do you think facilities should be communicating when things like that happen to the public? It's a really difficult part of our job as trainers because we love these animals so much. And it's also a really difficult part of the job for people who are on the PR team because there is no way you can spin it positively. Like it's devastating. It doesn't matter what animal it is. It's always going to be devastating emotionally and from a business standpoint, Um, which is why oftentimes if it's not an animal that is very well known, you know, obviously the killer whales, you know, there's fewer of them. They're very big. They're very personable. There's a lot of people that even know them by name. So it's not really something you can sweep under the rug. Like you would have to come out and announce, oh, this animal has died. You know, if it's a penguin in a colony of 50 penguins, you know, that's often easier just to kind of be like, oh, we're not going to address it. And I understand I've had a lot of conversations um, with, you know, in boardrooms of people that have been consulting with of why is it so important like why should we invite in that negative press but I think it again comes back to the humanity in our jobs and there was one photo that really really hit me like like between the eyes was from Georgia Aquarium when they communicated the death of one of their beluga whales and it was just a black and white photo of two trainers hugging one another and the grief on their faces oh my goodness like that I was scrolling my my feed and I stopped and I was like, wow, because there is no human being in the world that could look at that photo and not understand what those trainers were feeling. And how good and- on Georgia Aquarium for doing that and really just highlighting in this moment, the trainers are really hurting and we're highlighting that and this is for them. Yeah. And it communicates that, you know, death is a part of life. It's it's gonna it's gonna come for all of us. It's gonna come for every human, regardless of whether or not you have access to incredible medical care. You know, people still die. Animals still die with amazing vet care as well. And for the most part, someone's gonna figure it out anyway. So we might as well get out in front of it and tell people, hey, yeah, this has happened. We're not trying to hide it. And look how much our staff is struggling because they loved this animal so much. I think the general public respects when you tell the truth. Um, because I think the minute that you try to stay silent, that can be interpreted as we're trying to hide something. 
So it's better just to be open and honest and say, hey, and I, I feel like more facilities are doing that now. I'm seeing a lot more posts if an animal falls sick of facilities saying, hey, this animal is not doing so well. We've got the vets involved. We're doing a lot of tests and kind of keeping people updated. And then if an animal does die afterwards, at least people are not thinking, oh, that came out of the blue. What happened? Yeah, I um, think we saw that with um with Winter's journey at Clearwater. Yeah. That definitely was really you know, I thought it was nice that they included everyone along her whole journey. Yeah. And I think you're always going to get people being like, oh, they should never be there. Like they died. But, you know, in Winter's case, they gave her, what, 16 years that she wouldn't have had otherwise. Winter was maybe arguably the most beloved cetacean in the world, apart from potentially Keiko. You know, there's never been another cetacean that has captured the attention of the media, of the general public, like the hearts and minds of people like Winter and Keiko. Um, so obviously that was something that they would have to address. And I feel like they communicated it in the best way. Like they hired grief counselors for their trainers. They shut the facility. Like when have you ever heard of that happening? Like closing the facility and saying, we are in mourning. You know, this was an animal who was part of our family. You know, I've heard stories of trainers losing animals and then an hour later being told to go and do show like that. I don't even know what to say to that. And, you know, and I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's sad. It's, it's for the trainers as well to, you know, give them a little bit of the respect of what they're going through. We recently, mm-hmm. where I work now, we recently lost our Australian sea lion. You know, she was 26 years old and we put a social media post up about that. And the comments and the, you know, the, messages we got which was actually beautiful like we were blown away by some of the incredible messages people would say photos from you know 15 years ago when they'd met her which was really special so oh wow yeah really cool like it and that was really nice I'm really glad that they did that yeah absolutely Hazel have obviously achieved so much over the last few years you've also now written five fictional books alongside an autobiography on your insights into being a killer trainer obviously debunking blackfoot fish and some tips and advice which is your book called i still believe now we'll definitely link all of those things in the show notes but you have also now been doing uh, tips and advice and coaching programs alongside your incredibly successful podcast no such word as can't uh, did you want to touch a little bit about what coaching you offer and what your podcasts and titles as well it's hilarious when you say it all together like that because yeah, that's that, that's what my brain feels like every day when I sit <laughs> at my laptop. I'm like, fingers in too many pies. What are we doing today? Um, yeah. So yeah, obviously there's the books. Yeah, the fictional books, they're there. I still believe kind of started everything with regards to marine mammals for me. It helped me to start speaking at universities um social media etc the coaching came after that as well a lot of people reached out on social media to say hey can you help me with my resume or can you give me some advice on swim tests or on this or on that and that's when I kind of noticed a gap in the market and it was born from a place of when I was 17 years old and I knew in my heart I wanted to be a killer rail trainer like I don't know if you guys know how obsessed I was. Like, I was like, I will do this or I will die. Like, there is no world in which I will not be a killer rail trainer. I was so focused on it to an unhealthy level. Like, I was in a psychology lecture once and they'd asked us, can you write down um, how you define yourself? And people were writing sensible things like daughter, friend, sister. And I wrote future killer rail trainer. Like I was that single-minded 
Um, but I really struggled to get information about how to make it happen. Um, obviously I had Google, but I was like, I don't know what to Google. Like, what, how am I going to find out what I need to do? And luckily I, my mom took me back to Orlando um, when I was a teenager and I actually got to ask some trainers who told me, you know, join IMATA, the International Marine Animal Trainers Association, which was a godsend. Yeah. That little nugget of information, I was like, great, I can use this. That glossary. Um, but I, done wonders. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, job board, amazing. Internships, fantastic. <laughs> but I still felt very lost. Like there was no one, like social media wasn't as big back then. Like we had Facebook, but that was pretty much it. So I was like, you know what, if I can help other aspiring trainers and give them this information readily, um, and kind of coach them through this world of, you know, make a, a CV, do your cover letter, apply for internships. How do you succeed in your internships? Okay, we've got training theory, we've got this, we've got that. Um, I was like, okay, I'll do that. If that's something people want, I'll provide it. Um, and it kind of took off. Like when I was still working as a killer rail trainer, I couldn't take on as many clients because I was still working a 40 hour work week. I was like, we're maybe going to do a couple of my days off and that's it. But then when I left to move to the Netherlands to be with my husband, um, that's when I kind of took it full time. Um, and I feel honestly so privileged. Like I know it can be quite cringy to say that, but there are some mentees that I've watched grow from before they've even done an internship and now they are killer rail trainers. And how and, um, reinforcing for you, like how cool to look back on, this is what I want to achieve. I achieved this and now I'm getting <laughs> to achieve it. Like, clap. I mean, I, it's, it is incredible. It's kind of mind blowing. Um, but I do keep saying to my husband that I need to stop. I don't want to say being so good at it, but I need the, the, co- <laughs> the course needs to stop Ooh, being so that. effective <laughs> because like I keep needing to find new clients <laughs> because yeah. like all of my clients keep getting jobs and I'm like, okay, but like this is a business. So like I need to find more. <laughs> yeah, there's only a certain amount of jobs as well. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, the podcast kind of, I'd always wanted to do a podcast. I love listening to podcasts. Um, you know, it was, that was incredible to me. And I put it off and put it off and put it off because I was like, I don't have time. Like there's too much to do, but I'm so glad that I did because for me, just personally, like getting to talk to even people like yourself, like it's so fun and it's like a little mini networking thing. And again, it's free for people to listen to so they can, you know, tune in and hopefully get some tips and advice as well from people of all different walks of life. And it the title of the podcast comes from my mum always telling me when I was younger, there's no such word as can't. Whenever I would say to her, I can't do that, she would turn around and say, there's no such word as can't. So I think she's a big reason why I have ended up achieving what I've wanted to achieve because I always have that in the back of my mind. So if I can communicate that to my listeners, amazing. Yeah. And I think, yeah, your podcast has done awesome and you've had some such cool conversations. I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you. So congratulations on all of that. Now we do have a couple of questions from the listeners. Now, most of them were very similar, as you can probably imagine when you're working with killer whales. One of the questions that was, that came through, sorry, was, did you have a question your safety when working with them? I mean, I think if you don't question your safety around killer whales, you're not in the right place. So when you work with killer rails, safety is not a bad word. Safety is maybe the best word that you have and you always have to be aware of it. There's so many protocols in place. It is drilled into you from the minute that you zip up that wetsuit. 
where you are allowed to go, where you're not allowed to go, how many trainers have to be with you, who's allowed to work what animal, who's allowed to touch what part of what animal. You know, there's things have really been thought through. Um, you know, we would run safety practices all the time, which includes, you know, obviously life-saving maneuvers. You know, we would run through CPR, we would get backboards, we would um, you know, run through hypothetical situations. Obviously, we would pull nets as well to practice net drills, not when animals were in the pool, obviously. Um, so yeah, safety is a huge thing working around the orca pool. Um, have I ever felt unsafe at work? No, never because of those safety protocols. You know, you're working with a massive predator. That's that's first and foremost. I think anyone who works with predators will tell you the same thing. You know, whether that is you're working with bears, you're working with big cats, you're working with killer whales, they have the potential to do massive damage. But all of the protocols that we have in place are to ensure that that doesn't happen. Um, and luckily with killer whales, we also have our relationship relationships with the whales you know we're still able to get incredibly close to them yeah we might not be in the water anymore but you know we're still face to face with them you know we're about as close as you can get without being neck deep anymore um and relationship plays a massive part in that so you know when you're talking about all of these safety drills you make sure that you're working as a well-oiled team and everyone knows where they need to be and what they need to do but you're aware that that's a very extreme and unlikely scenario because you should never get to that point. You know, you should be aware enough of your animal's behavior, of what's going on, of where you are, so that it never escalates to that. Um, you know, you can't predict everything, obviously. Animals are unpredictable. But for the most part, you know, I think everyone who follows me on social media has seen photos of me, you know, kissing Wiki's tongue and, you know, hugging her, you know, literally putting my face right next to her face, you know. And that's what I find hilarious about so many activists being like, oh, she hates you. I'm like, if she hated me, she would never let me do that. You know, you think she's doing that for fish? Like she would follow us around with her tongue hanging out of her mouth, like, um, please rub it. It feels so nice. <laughs> you know, like help, really. <laughs> I know. Like we would lean over and be like, Oh, have you not been abused enough today, Wiki? Let me just give you another tongue rub. Like, okay. Um, but obviously, you know, there's moments where it would be appropriate to do that. And then there's moments where you would be like, okay, I'm going to keep a healthy distance between me and this whale because her son has just done something to piss her off. So there's a lot of using your own common sense in tandem with the protocols and knowing what you're allowed to do and listening to your supervisor and your hierarchy and yeah, keeping an eye out for everyone on that team. And I say like that comes down to as well so much on your relationship and being able to breed that that particular animal. And that's across any species. Like we're not just talking when that comes to killer whales. That's with any animal. You should know your relationship. I'll give a caveat to that as well. Um, the two whales that I worked at Marineland, because the way they work at Marineland is you can work all four. So I've done sessions with all four of the animals, but I was on the training team for Wiki and Ko, which means that my relationship with Wiki and Keo was significantly better than my relationship with Inuk and Moana. I would never get that close to Inuk and Moana because they didn't know me well enough. It wouldn't have been fair for me to be like, I'm going to hug you. They'd be like, are we, are we at that stage? Like we're not personal at space, please. <laughs> yeah. Like personal space. Um, Keo, my relationship with Keo was never as good as my relationship with Wiki. I think me and Wiki were much more similar in our personalities. Like we got each other a bit better. Keo, is like a little boy with ADHD. Like he's a lot. He is a lot. 
Um, and for that reason, I would never put my face on his face, even on his good days, because I just, for myself, I was like, I find him too unpredictable or I am not at the stage of my relationship where I can read his tiny, tiny behavioral cues that I could put my face on his face and get my head out of the way in time before he would get distracted by something else and swing his massive head around. So, you know, there were things I was comfortable doing with Wiki that I wasn't comfortable doing with Keio. And I think it's not talked about enough how intuitive trainers are and how well they know the animals. And I'm not even talking about myself there. You know, I'm not saying I had the best relationship in the world with Wiki. You know, there's other trainers out there that I can't hold a candle to. Like my, one of my best friends, Gwen, her relationship with Moana, I've never seen anything like it. You know, it was like they were literally two kindred spirits. Like <laughs> they they were in each, honestly, and I'm not even exaggerating that, they were in each other's brains. They could communicate without words. Like, honestly, I swear they were having secret conversations that no one else was was privy to. Wow. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't think trainers get enough credit for um, actually how much we do for the animals and how well we know them. And, like, it makes you a good trainer, being able to be able to read those behaviours, yeah. know your limits, know your precursors. And if you don't, then, like you said, you just you don't go as far as you do with some, yeah. of, the, some of the other animals, sorry. Now, one of the other questions we came through was what is your best advice or the best way, I guess, people can respond when asked about killer whales under human care? If you have never personally worked with a killer whale, refer that person to someone who has. When I was still a dolphin trainer, I always caveated my responses with, I have never worked with killer whales. I have never worked in this facility, but here's my educated guess. Here's my opinion. You know, I will still have people send me videos from SeaWorld or videos from back when Kiska um, was still alive up at Marineland Canada and be like, what's going on here? What's this? And I would always be like, well, I've never worked with that animal. I've never visited that facility. Like I cannot offer an opinion on exactly what's going on, but here's like an educated guess of what's happening. Um, but yeah, I would just say refer to papers or refer to other killer rail trainers, not even me, like other prominent killer rail trainers who potentially can answer questions or tell people just to visit. Like if you're really, if you're really that, if you need answers to your questions that badly, go and talk to the professionals. Yeah, I think that's really I good. don't know if I answered that very well, but I feel like we spoke about that a lot at the beginning of the podcast with regards to like troll comments and stuff. Yeah, I think all of it combined is a great response. Yeah. I actually have a question for you as well. That's not from the yeah. list, it's from me. I want to know if we're going to see you working with marine mammals ever again. <laughs> um, never say never. Yeah. I would be I would be completely open to it. Um, I love animals. I definitely miss it. Um, yeah, where I am in life at the moment is kind of a reaction to trying to, and I feel like a lot of trainers struggle with like the work-life balance, like trying to get our personal lives exactly the way we want them and marry that with our work lives and not everyone gets to do that I would say right now my personal life is exactly where I want it uh, and I love my business I love social media consulting and coaching and writing um do I miss being hands-on with the animals yes um so never say never like life is long like who says you have to have everything figured out when you're 20 or when you're 30 and I feel so lucky that I I became a killer whale trainer when I was 22. I was a baby. I was so young. I knew nothing. 
like I knew nothing and now I'm 30 and I feel so blessed to have had you know eight years working in the industry so far you know when I'm 35 when I'm 40 who knows yeah that's so cool well Hazel it has been an absolute honor having you on our podcast we're so grateful that you're not only just our first international guest but also the fact that you made time to chat with us today if people do want to reach out for a whole lot more questions which I'm sure everyone has where is best that they reach you Uh, Social media, probably on all platforms. I'm at Hazel McBride author. So that's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. And my website is hazelmcbride.nl. Perfect. Thank you so much again for your time, Hazel. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Wow, that was so interesting. I know that was our longest episode today, but I was definitely engaged the whole time. Uh, I really enjoyed it. As Daisy said, you can find all that was mentioned and those links in our show notes. Hope you enjoyed the episode too. See you next week. Bye.